the Recovery Executive Podcast with your host, Nick Jaworski. We bring you the business of recovery because those struggling with addiction need you to be here tomorrow as well as today. Thank you for joining me today here on the Recovery Executive Podcast. I'm your host, Nick Jaworski. The Recovery Executive Podcast is geared towards executive directors and owners of treatment centers looking for help, especially in the areas of business and business development. Uh, something I personally found was that people often struggled you know, outside the clinical perspective and how to tie business development to sales, to marketing, to finance. Um, operations is often a big one where a lot of centers are losing money. So. When we work together, when we help people understand the business side of things so that we can deliver a better clinical program, we help patients. The Recovery Executive Podcast is brought to you by Circle Social Inc. Circle Social Inc. is a strategic marketing and growth firm for addiction treatment and behavioral health centers. You can learn more about them at www.circlesocialinc.com. Today, today we're speaking with Kathy Frosard. She is the VP of Business Development, Sales, and Marketing at Foundations Recovery Network. And I love Kathy. Um, Many of you probably know her. She's at a lot of conferences. She's an amazing person. And so very excited to have her on the show. Part of what's unique about her is she's spent a long time in healthcare but she hasn't necessarily come from the recovery industry. Uh, This is newer. She just started at Foundations Recovery Network a couple of years ago. And I personally found that having people come from outside the industry, outside the field, brings a very different, unique perspective that I think is much needed right now. The old ways of doing things is not working. And what do we do? What do we need to change? And what can we borrow from other healthcare areas that we might be able to implement in the recovery space? So she talks a lot about innovative changes that she's made at Foundations Recovery Network regarding their call center, regarding the business development team, regarding marketing, and specifically how all those tie together to support each other and when you get those different business development departments working together that's when you see some really high returns a real interesting comment that she's got is how they went from 20,000 calls a month and they dropped it in half to 10,000 calls a month but actually increased their census while doing so and we'll get into why that happened that way and what she did to make it happen so with that let's jump into the conversation with Kathy Hey, Kathy, really appreciate you coming on the show. How are you doing today? I'm great. I've really been looking forward to this, Nick. Yeah, I, I think I've wanted to have you on for a while, and you know we've talked multiple times, so excited we finally able to make it happen. Uh, can you tell us a bit about yourself and your role over at Foundations Recovery Network? Sure, absolutely. So I am the vice president over business development and quote-unquote sales um, here at Foundations Recovery Network, which is part of UHS. We're the um, addictions division of UHS. And um, I actually um, see myself as the person who's over all the points of entry or um, over the the admission acquisition. So because I touch a little bit of every area. So I'm over our call center. Um, though we do have a director there. I'm over our business development. We have a director there. Um, and then I'm also over the alumni team. Um, and, and so many people um, refer because of their experience of being here. But also so many people, unfortunately, have to come back. And so we're keeping all that in one umbrella so that we can really keep the patient focus there. 
Um, a little bit about a little bit about my past is um, I come from being in healthcare. I actually started as a nurse's aide at like 16 in a nursing home, and have been a nurse, and then um, went into nurse education or health education, and um, really was able to work with a startup company from startup all the way through being um, a fully um, industry leader um, in healthcare education before I came over here and um, was really just led, um, I'm not um, in recovery, it's not my story, however, I'm really led by that passion of impacting people every day and I don't think anyone's not been touched by um, someone who might be uh, in recovery or need to be in recovery. So this is really, was, I was really driven to come here and, and very pleased to be in this industry. So I'm excited to have you on because you do oversee all these different portions of the admissions process and also your background in healthcare. So let's start a little bit with kind of your oversight of all these different departments. Um, how do you see that fitting in, right? You got business development, you got your call center admissions, you've got your standard marketing outreach. How does that all tie together in your opinion? I think it truly ties together because we begin with the patient in mind. So even in the call center, even if we can't help them into one of our facilities, we will make sure they get some help somewhere. Um, and the same thing with our alumni team. They start talking to people as soon as they get out of treatment, and they'll take calls 24-7 and continue on for um, however long the, that that person wants to keep in contact with us. It could be a year. It could be two years. We've had many more. Um, so all of those really put the patient first. And then that d business development person that's out there and helping to build relationships for, for referral, I want to make sure that those people are really focused on putting the patient first and being a great point of entry um, into uh, treatment. So I think that in the past it was a lot of um, business to business relationship. I really truly believe it has to be about the patient and less about the business. And so that's how all those three tie together for me. And how do you establish kind of collaboration? Because in most treatment centers, you know, that I see, it's very siloed, right? Business development really doesn't talk to the call center, really doesn't talk to marketing. Um, so how do you establish the communication channels or collaboration between those departments? Well, ironically, that was the first challenge I was given the day I started. I asked everyone in leadership, what do you expect of me? What do you want? What will be success a year from now? And they said um, it was about the call center and the business development team working hand in hand and about having a relationship with marketing. And so I, I, the way I've really created that bond is I went um, to the teams that I managed and I said, I really want us to be number one known for accountability. And we have to be accountable not just to the patient, but to the, our coworkers, to um, the entire company, and really actually to the community in uh, the way that we can speak about what we do. And so accountability was my number one. So I did find very quickly, like I would say, of course I'll do that to someone in marketing. And they were like, yeah, well, they didn't expect me to do it. But every time each one of us are accountable, that starts to build a band of trust. And so um, that has really developed over this last year. Our business development folks and our admission center folks, um, they speak on a regular basis and they're all part of a census accountability team that looks at um, discharges and admissions and, and what we can do to help difficult situations and they talk on a regular basis and I think that's really key. They're just an extension of each other. 
Okay. Can you go in a little bit deeper into that accountability piece? Like what exactly are they? So you said census, but like what are the different pieces they're being accountable for in different teams? So they're being accountable for, um, I guess, first in the very basics is not just answering the phone, but doing what they say they're going to do. So I think in the past you'd have business development would call in and they'd ask something of an admission center person and they would be like, yeah, yeah, and then they'd take another call or they would forget it. But um, I think it's really important that if um, someone calls in and connects that if we say we're going to do something, we're going to do something. Like maybe it is just looking up an insurance or maybe it's understanding the way a deductible works or maybe it's just understanding um, a referral source. They may call and say, could you please reach out to this referral source that you helped get someone admitted for. They have to be able to be accountable and follow through with that. And in the same breath, business development needs to be accountable when someone from the call center reaches out and says, you know, that something might be awry or that that something, uh, someone, a referral source is confused or they need some help. Uh, that, that happens as well. Um, and I think the other part of that, just with the marketing component, marketing, our marketing department creates an insane amount of amazing different social media tools. And so um, when we get leads from uh, a webinar or a panel visit or we're just getting um, a new message out there, if business development and the call center don't carry that forward, then really their work isn't um, as powerful as it could be. So it's our job to be accountable to them and to carry those messages forward. So something I see that creates these silos and that sometimes has challenges around accountability is really the incentivization that kind of happens within different departments, right? And so call centers, sometimes sometimes they're incentivized for the admissions process. So that's why they don't care what business development wants or another department wants because they don't get comped on that. Um, is that something that you can maybe go into or something that you had to change when you came in? So that is something I looked at immediately when I first came in. And, and, and granted, I've worked through sales for 17 years, but I worked inside outside sales groups and stuff. Um, I did, I did want to look at how are we compensating in the call center. And we've gone through a very in-depth, thoughtful process to look at how can we make the call center so that it's not commissioned, but we're still um, getting the right kind of people in here because it is a very tough job. And so uh, we're actually in that last stages of making those adaptions so that we're not um, using commission or incentivized um, bonuses. Um, we will have an incentive, though, based on the team efforts um, because we do want everyone to work together in that area, but it's very minimal. Um, and I think it is important that we start to look in this industry in general at breaking the, the paths that they've done before. Maybe we're incentivizing for referral sources, but we certainly aren't incentivizing for admissions. We may be incentivizing for um, an overall uh, um, relationship building and, and how that's building the census, things like that. So I think it's good to just step outside the box and look at how to make sure people are passionate about their job, but they're also paid for what is a really difficult job. Yeah, I agree. You know, I mean, last time when I was with you guys walking around the center, you know, we talked about the suicide calls, right? And every center gets those. Um, we see it all the time on RN2, you know, and so you, obviously you want a situation where people are helping anyone that comes in, you know, and as challenging as that can be, you know, so I, I always felt it's to be really cautious, I guess, around incentivizing just around something like admissions because you've got so many people that need help and, and you've got lives on the line. 
Um, yeah, I don't know if you want to comment on that. <laughs> no, I couldn't agree with you more. And um, a lot of, I guess one of the things you asked me once was like, what's the difference between you know, just general health care and, you know, being in this industry. And one of the things I recognized um, really quickly was uh, that in healthcare, there's like this continuum of change. But in, um, in, in everyone expects the patient to move along and to go to different sources and do all that stuff. And unfortunately, I think that a lot of our treatment centers see themselves as an island, right? Uh, and I think we have to just really focus on what are we doing for the patient no matter what. And if we, if we incentivize, that takes away from maybe that focus. So let's get those passionate people in there who are really focused on the patient and really focused on what are we doing the right thing. Um, but, again, I mean, getting the right people in is one of the biggest challenges. Um, so I'm all about training when it comes to that. For sure. So you have that background. You know, it wasn't necessarily addiction treatment, but it's been healthcare for a long time. Can you tell us some other things that you really noticed about the field of addiction treatment that was different from regular healthcare? Yeah. So I, I would say again, just um, that whole idea that um, that it's not part of the continuum of regular healthcare yet, and it, I think it's starting to become that, and I do believe it will become that. Because I know that we see the connection between the ER and, and getting someone into treatment. And um, so there's many components to that. But I would say that's one of them. I'd say the second one is um, a lot of resistance to change. Now, I won't say that's different than the healthcare in the sense that every time healthcare goes through change, there's a resistance. But I think when I talk to individual facilities, um, there's a little bit of resistance to change the way you're doing it today. We've always gotten PPCs. PPC calls. We've always done a certain way that we do things and um, get to get patients in. And now I think it's it's really key to go, wait, what is the best way to get a point of entry for everybody who needs treatment? And um, that kind of resistance is there. I think my favorite difference, though, is that this industry is so wonderful about self-care. Um, I can honestly say all my years as a nurse and in, in technology and software and sales, Nobody ever talked to me about self-care before. And this uh, company I work for and at foundations and this industry in general um, realize how important it is to make sure you care for yourself so that you can care for others. And I am blown away by that. I think it's fantastic. Awesome. Well, so you were saying that you were overseeing the business development reps and something that I've been seeing happen across some centers is they're actually cutting down on their business development team. You know, what's your perspective on that? Is that a good idea, bad idea, and why? So I think it's a bad idea. Um, I've actually fought really hard against that even just, in, you know, everyone's asking the right questions. But I think we have to make really thoughtful decisions. I believe business development's almost kind of like a nasty word in healthcare now. Um, I don't know what I'd rather call it, but uh, the truth is, is that if we get business development um, linking and walking hand in hand with marketing, um, moving closer to having the same goals, then what we're going to do is we're going to have that human touch along with the technology touch. And you can't replace human touch. I mean, it, it's, it's something that is really making a difference. Um, but I also think you have to drive your business development team in a different way. Uh, when I think of the role of a business development person, 
I think, one, number one, they should be trusted advisors. They should really know what they're talking about and really be listening and help people um, no matter where that person's going to go. So being a trusted advisor, I think their second job is to be educators, um, to keep to make sure they're knowledgeable in the industry, to make sure that they understand what's happening um, in our own facilities and that they educate other people around them. Um, and I think their other job to me is really about carrying that message of breaking the stigma. Um, everything that someone does out in the community, that is it's hard to change that through technology, but you can take, you know, change that through personal touch. And I think it's really key. Um, uh, I would also probably say that um, just connecting those two things all the time and, and connecting marketing and business development together, using that met pathway to, to um, speak to people through social media, I think um, that is really key as well. And I also, I think, I keep breaking molds a little bit here, but <laughs> I said, how, how about we not just go business to business? Because we do respect each other in this industry, but how about we go outside the industry? And um, one of the things that we've done that's been very successful is our new referral sources are from many areas, including like focusing key on unions and EAPs or, or focusing truly on professionals that need support from our Talbot Center or, you know, actually just um, maybe not just meeting everyone around you, but really focusing on certain people that have um, employees that work for them or have connections that will help that need treatment. So just maybe changing the way that pathways that you go and not just making it a, a prey and spray method, which you and I have talked about before. Right. It's we not talk about my favorite way. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, you said it and you kind of hit it right in the head there where you have to have your business development reps be educators, be knowledgeable in the space. You know, I mean, what so many centers do is they just basically hire a business development rep and then throw them out there and, and hope they get referrals. And if they don't, then they hire someone else, you know, which is not a viable yeah. strategy. <laughs> uh, and then they wonder why the business development team isn't working. Well, that's why. So you guys do a lot of training, actually, which is fantastic. And that's part of that reason. Can you talk a little bit about the value of the training you provide your business development reps before they go into the field? Absolutely, and I can even tell you a success story around where that training is coming into play. So we start um, with a four-week training program, and my idea of training is that you take one message and you build on it, and you build on it, and you build on it. But we begin just not even talking about their jobs. We begin our first week just talking about the industry, talking about the verticals within the industry, and really just talking about how do we serve those areas best. So we spend a week really focused, and I have an amazing trainer um, who does a great job of just really being in depth with them in that first area. So it's not at all about their job. Even if they know this industry, we still want to do that because we all can learn and grow from that. And then their second week, we start to build on that. We actually send them back home, wherever they remotely work, and we have them start looking at how would you build your own business um, plan. So I'm a, I'm a fanatic about business plans. I, I don't know how you do anything without having a strategy behind it. So they go back and they look at their area, they look at their focus, and they create a business plan. And our coach works with them along the way. And um, through the third week, then the coach gets out there with them. And she's just literally taking them through the process of um, helping them see, do, and, you know, and repeat um, kind of interaction that we want. 
And then finally, they present the business plan back to myself and the, the BD director and their manager. And um, we talk about what their focus is going to be. So uh, that's a pretty in-depth program, really, in that first four weeks. And it is a lot, I promise. <laughs> um, but we don't stop there. We continue to work with them going on uh, throughout their career with us. And what we've seen is we've seen um, – Productivity, higher to productivity. In other words, it used to take about six months or maybe eight months for someone to get admissions in. Um, now we're seeing that occur within the first 30 to 45 days because we're focusing on a smaller area and not just praying and spraying. We're focusing them in one part. So let's they can grow and learn other things as they go along. But let's focus you here where you can feel some success and then go from there. I love that. You know, I was just speaking to a business development rep the other day at, at a large provider here across the northern U.S., and they had just gotten hired, and they were told, you know, okay, if you don't have a referral within the first 30 days, that's a problem. And you guys are actually just training that entire time, and just like you said, I mean, the reality is it's usually six to eight months, and so it's really interesting that you've been able to reduce that time so significantly through the training. But I don't think they could do it alone. And that's the thing is you don't want to leave people alone. You don't just dump everything in and then you're on your own. you got to work with them hand in hand. And, and so, yes, those first admissions are something that, you know, you're actually getting assistance to accomplish. But that's cool because you're starting to feel that first uh, success. And, and you know and you get more confident in your speaking. And overall, I think by the end of the year, you have just a stellar business development person. So something else I've seen with a lot of centers, too, is, again, they just kind of bring someone in and throw them out there. So it's completely random. If you talk to three different business development reps, they're all doing three completely different things in different ways. Um, yes. Are you guys actually systematizing that through the training, I'm assuming? Uh, yes, we're doing our best to systematize those. It's pretty tough um, because each person has their own way. But one thing we did do is we actually um, broke our leadership of um, each area just broke the country in half. We had several managers before, but I wanted everyone to have the same direction and the same path and, and to work as a team together, and that's why the coach comes into play. But um, I do believe in, in standardizing the understanding of what you're doing. If, again, if you don't have focus, I don't think you can be successful in the long run. Um, I don't expect people to come in with a book of business. That was something I heard a lot in this industry at first. Um, if they do, that's fantastic. But the truth is, is I think it's their job to sell the standard of care that foundations provides, not selling themselves, you know. Um, so I think that also helps, too, is just being, is branding. Um, you know, I think we have to get back to branding, you know, just really uh, not so simply put, but, you know, like all the basics. A good branding strategy has, you know, research and SWOT analysis and competitive landscape and determining the key value and then knowing what truly makes us unique from someone else. Um, if we do that, then we might be able to break the stigma a bit more in the public eye as well. Agreed. You know, I just ran a training and I constantly say that if you're if your business development rep is bringing in referrals because of your business development rep, that's a problem, right? Because business development reps come and go. They sh the referral should be coming to you because of your brand, because of who you are, your level of care. And so that way, if you lose your business development rep, well, you're still going to retain that referral source. 
you know, so it, it's super important. Um, so this retention thing is always a huge deal, though, you know, within the business development space. And you guys are investing a lot, right? You were seeing a six to eight month wait time previously. So what do you do to help retain business development staff so that, you know, you don't invest all that up front and then they disappear? Um, that's a great question. So when I first came on, um, remember that UHS had just purchased really uh, foundations and had really started to take a hold of that. So um, when I first came on, I did lay my expectations out to the team that we had, and we did have a lot of longevity. Um, during that time, I actually had quite a bit of turnover, but it was turnover that I expected because they had to adapt to a new way of doing what we what we do. It isn't just about selling you. It's about, matter of fact, one of the things I had heard was, um, you know, we uh, brand ourselves. And I'm like, nah, I really like you to brand the company um, and be a great representative of our company. And that's good too. You know, that means you're really good at what you do. So we did have some turnover um, and we have refilled those positions. And I looked very specifically for um, a few traits in the business development team that I have. Uh, so I have some great longevity in one area. What I will do, and, and I do continue to do with our existing, is have open communication. I think that's really key. Transparency on how things are changing, because let's be honest, this industry is changing a lot, and companies are changing to adapt. We don't always do everything right, so you have to also have transparency when, well, that didn't work out so well. We have to try something different. Um, so I think that helps keep people. I think continued training and development helps keep um, individuals. And really uh, transparency with uh, the success of the company um, and just believing in those people and talking to them. Uh, for a while it took uh, some of our business development reps uh, a little um, time to get used to when I would just call them and ask them how they were doing. They were like, <laughs> why is my VP calling me? <laughs> <laughs> sure. Could be scary. You never know. Yeah, I didn't even know I was scary. Um, <laughs> but I think that helps keep everyone connected, you know? Yeah, so. for sure. Yeah, yeah, different cultures, right? Yeah, I've been in those similar positions. Um, well, very cool. Okay, so I want to jump to back to something you said about the pray and spray approach with the business development. But we've also talked about this pretty extensively from a, a call perspective, inquiry perspective, you know. So when you're driving huge volume, and this is what everyone always wants, right? I want more calls. I want more inquiries. Um, but we've talked before about kind of a changing opinion on that. So what's your perspective in terms of driving qualified inquiries into whether business development or the call center? Wow, yeah, so you're right. When I first started, we were getting 20,000 calls, which probably seems astronomical, but we have about 50 um, call center employees, So, um, and it's all over the nation. So we were getting about 20,000 calls. However, um, the calls weren't really always um, really quality calls, and I mean everything from pizza to um, will you deliver a beer? Um, <laughs> sure. <laughs> so uh, I do believe our, our marketing team has done a really great job of connecting with the admission center. So uh, the admission center director and the the gentleman who does like SEO and and uh, PPC, they all work together to really start looking at what the calls are and funneling them. So now we work on about ten thousand calls a month. Um, so half of what we had before, um, and now we're beginning to see our emissions really pick up. You know, we were hit just like everyone else was, um, but the quality of the calls are so much better, and the focus is different. Um, I do think it has a lot to do with 
really truly having an integrated multi-channel kind of approach to marketing where business development and marketing work together and that we're not completely reliant on any kind of PPC uh, strategies, though we do have some, um, and we are uh, legit script certified. Um, but it has to go beyond that. And I love uh, John Weber's our call center director, and he said something. We have been maybe a month into not having PPCs, and he said, well, let's just pretend that's never coming back, and let's make ourselves really good at what we do. And I think that's been a really good plan. It's, it's exactly what we needed to do is not be as focused on, oh, my gosh, are we getting 20,000 calls a, a month. Yeah, I love that story, you know, because honestly there's a lot of centers out there that are just sitting around twiddling their thumbs waiting for um, their legit script certification, and that's it. And so you talked before about this industry not changing, and that's really one of the key issues is, you know, if you got to survive, you can't just hold on to the past and, like, fight for it to come back. <laughs> You've got to adapt right. and move forward. That's never worked yet, from my experience, anyway, in anything. Um. <laughs> But you guys have a great success story, right? You did that, you know, and then you saw a very significant increase in admissions, not calls. I mean, you dropped your call rate in yeah. half, but you saw an increase in admissions. And so, you know, as I'm always saying, it works. <laughs> it does work. And I really am looking. I know you've spoken before about it in a facility, you're seeing about 70% of the business development. But in a large organization like this, we were seeing about 40%. Um, but my goal was to take it to 50 to 60%. And so we've been seeing um, business development driving, I think we had 124 new referral sources this year, and driving business in a different way and hitting that 50% of admissions. And there's nothing wrong or right with any problem. It's, it, I think it is a good idea, though, to look towards those people connections at the same time you're doing all the us. Yeah. Well, you mentioned alumni, too, uh, before, oh, yeah. and I was just wondering, it, you've probably made some changes since you came on. Have you seen things improve? Did you do additional alumni outreach or, you know, um, touch points that you've seen kind of come back in terms of increased alumni referrals or alumni engagement? Yeah, I have. Um, so um, we have a great alumni team, and i got to say they're very dedicated. They answer calls 24-7 and, and really walk, work through with people. And so they do get a lot of referrals. We get about 20% mm, of our admissions each month come from referrals um, through the alumni. But one of the things that we did is we had a alumni app that uh, – was kind of being developed for us, a good alumni app, a good company. But one of the things that we took a look at is we said, hey, how could we do this better? So I know I'm not in the business of developing apps. I'm in the business of helping patients get into treatment. So I went and talked to uh, Cared For, to Parker at Cared For, and was able to really connect with somebody who they are in the business of making an app. And I learned that very long time ago that, if you know, hospitals aren't in the business of, you know, creating CRMs, so you should purchase one, you know, things like that. I, it's really important to go to those people who will help you. But they have an app that I just am in love with, and I am just about to roll it out. I haven't rolled it out yet, but it's a community app that if someone calls into the call center, it's a family member or whatever, they're not quite ready to admit or they want to just learn more things. We can send them back to this app they can download, and it'll have resources for them as well as our phone number in case they want to call again. But it will also have resources for them. And so I think that's a great being of service and affecting your brand 
um, so that people will call, reach back out when they are ready to go into treatment. And so I'm excited about that new opportunity that we're just on the just on the border of, of getting ready to roll out. So I think you have to think about all those different ways now. Hmm, that's great. I love Parker. You know, he was on the show before. If listeners uh, want to check out his episode, but definitely worthwhile. Uh, and you mentioned, you know, like you said, people aren't ready to make a decision right away a lot of the time. It's usually around, you know, 10% or less are people are ready to make a decision now. So if you want to expand your you know, admissions process, you've really got to engage those other 80 to 90% of people um, that just are, need a little bit more time, you know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and actually, if, if we're not anything, we should be a resource to the people that are out there. I mean, that should be our number one reason for existing and still running a good business because I do come from a business background. I do know how it is to make a company profitable. Um, but you can do both those things because in the end result, you're going to get that result because you are doing the right things. Right. Yep. Yep. I mean, pay, people are going to pay for value. And if you deliver that value, they're willing to pay for it, which allows you to deliver more value. It's just a very nice virtuous cycle. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, okay, so you were t- talking a little bit before about, uh, you know, having a really good team of business development reps and that you had some turnover. You know, what is it that you specifically look for in a business development rep that you have found to be successful that fits your kind of approach? So um, I actually look for someone, I do like that they've been somewhere in healthcare. Uh, I come from a healthcare background, so I kind of get that, and I feel like they bring in a little bit of of um, information. I love someone in the industry, in our industry as well, but I look for a couple of things. I look for them to be um, well-spoken, and I don't mean just well-spoken, you and I. I'd like to make sure they know how to present because I think it'd be great for my, and I've seen it already, our BD reps to get out there and present in a community so that we can work on breaking that stigma out there. Um, so I'd like them to be well-spoken, not just in um, being buddies, So, because uh, I think there's a business uh, aspect of that. I like for them to have a reason for their passion, um, and it doesn't mean that they necessarily are in recovery. People can be just as passionate. I know I am, but um, so it can be whatever that connection is, but I want to hear that connection with them. I also look for someone who can articulate a business plan, um, how they go about their strategy of being successful in their own in their own business. So, um, so I've got a, a assortment of folks now who are really helping each other, those that have been in the industry, those that are new to the industry, um, they're crossing over and learning new skills from each other. Um, So that's kind of what I'm looking for. And then in terms of follow-up, you know, you guys have fantastic tracking set up, right? You kind of have your wall of all these tracking metrics that you're following all the time. Do you guys do that for your business development reps as well? Um, We don't do it to the level I would like, um, but we do as well. Um, We do do follow-up. We do um, KPIs. You know, um, you you have to look at performance, but not just about how many phone calls you make, but what's the value of those things, just like we worry about it in the admission center listening to calls. Um, But we want to make sure that um, we're adding value wherever we're presenting or talking or interacting. So we do tracking and outcomes with that as well, Uh, just like being able to see that the training has an outcome um, I was looking for some true KPIs around that and could see that as well. Um, and I think we have to continue to do that. I, I would love to add more technology around it. Um, Salesforce is an amazing tool, and I think we use a portion of it, but we're trying to use more and more of it because if you really use that tool, you can really start um, understanding 
and researching. Um, data can tell you a lot of things, and it's not just numbers. Yeah, for sure. That's a huge drawback as well, the advantage of Salesforce, right? It is a massive tool, but it's just so much. I think you have to be a larger organization to even take advantage of all the, all the you know, bells and whistles. Yes, absolutely. So we talked a lot about the business development end of things, but obviously, like you said, you oversee the call center and marketing as well. Uh, what else do you think centers should be focusing on these days in terms of their outreach? I think they should focus on their standard of care um, versus focusing on their features. Or um, I think that it's important that that um, that value is what um, we focus on and the value of the outcome. Uh, I, I am so grateful because we you you probably know Siobhan Moore and, and what she's done with outcome information um, has been tremendous and I meet often with other um, recovery uh, facilities and a lot of times they're they're doing outcomes based on a small portion of people versus maybe their larger um, client set or uh, the outcome is is not reviewed but maybe yearly um, I think the outcome has to be reviewed regularly so that we can make adaption and changes to really make a difference. Yeah, I love that. It's such it's such an important piece that I think, honestly, the field as a whole kind of missed for a while. They were really focused on amenities for different reasons. But these days, I mean, even from a marketing approach, you know, I guarantee you any center that looks at their admissions, a very small percent of those people are first-time admits, right? They've been to multiple rehabs, and people are not looking for a pool. They're looking to get help, you know, and get into recovery. And so they're more interested in your clinical program and your staff qualifications than they are, you know, what your lobby looks like. Exactly. Um, you know, you think about it, just flip it over into the healthcare world. Do you worry very much about what um, the lobby looks like in the ER when you go in when someone's bleeding or something? You don't, and and I think that that even though we want to keep it nice and clean and beautiful, and we do, our facilities are gorgeous, but that isn't the most important thing. Um, you know, the most important thing is that care that they're about to get. Yep, yep, and it's really becoming about that from a marketing perspective too. You know, we're seeing it. I'm sure you're seeing it that people want to know the outcomes data, right? Is this place going to have a better chance of helping me or my loved one than the other centers I'm comparing it with? Right, and I think it's important that we learn how to share that more and more. Um, like in the business development role, I feel like um, there's some of my folks, I, I know you probably know, you met Amy Wilson as well, so she's my director over that. And um, she really focuses on the outcome data and sharing that with people. And uh, I think that um, for a while we were kind of shy to share that kind of information, but I think it should be shared regularly with all referral sources so they understand what kind of facility that they're referring to. Right. You know, and the reality is, I think that that data, you know, I think sometimes people are scared about sharing it because, you know, the numbers are not like 60%. <laughs> you no, know, we, unfortunately we not. <laughs> right. You know, but that's the reality of recovery, right? You know, people do come right. back, they, they do struggle with it. And so it's good to show that data so that you can talk to referral sources and the public, I think, in general and say, hey, here's the reality. You know, this is something that needs multiple touch points possibly or be prepared you know that someone might need to come back i mean it's, it's no different from you know people with cancer going into remission and coming back there's always that concern mm -hmm. and we're comfortable with that you know so we should be comfortable with this similar something similar in addiction i think exactly i think you're 100 percent correct 
Well, before we kind of wrap up here, I did want to ask you, so we always have a special conversation and sometimes Parker's involved with goats, but I don't know if you wanted to talk a little bit about your love goats? for goats. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that is funny. Um, so my, um, my husband and I have two and a half acres of south of Nashville, so we live in the country, and he's obsessed with the idea of getting goats. And I spent an entire uh, hour, I think, talking about with Parker about his yeah. goats and his experience. <laughs> And um, I went home and I still said no. But (laughs) I do think someday we'll be having some goats at the house. And I have these two little dachshunds that I think will love running with goats. But um, I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. Yeah, so if you ever see Kathy at a conference, you have to ask her or Parker. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, ask about the goat experience. Right. (laughs) It's awesome. Is there uh, is there anything else that you you want to mention that we didn't get to cover? Um, I'd love to do a, a shameless plug a little bit on foundations if that's okay. Absolutely. So um, Foundations Recovery Network, um, it um, was founded in uh, 1995, and it has grown and changed and evolved and really tried to stay um, current or above the industry so that we can help and share in education. So we do have uh, six facilities and that are residential, and in those facilities we have um, really p- pretty much a need for everyone uh, that might fit in that environment. Um, we also have a great professionals program at, our, at Talbot, and um, we do have mental health primary as well, um, and that's at our Memphis facility, um, the Oaks La Paloma. So, um, but we also have 13 um, IOPs out there, and we have um, that ability to work on that continuum of care, and I think that's really important, and we need referral sources and, and people that we work with so that we make sure that patients have the ability to move through each step of their recovery with support and effort so that that continuum of care uh, exists for them out there. So we really want to do that with them. Um, Anytime y'all want to come down to the corporate office in Nashville, that's where I'm located, and love to give you a tour of a call center in the marketing department. We have a great marketing leader who does some pretty amazing things, and um, I'm just uh, really grateful that uh, UHS has purchased us so we get the opportunity to be that addictions division for UHS and have that incredible um, sponsorship from them and um, funding behind what we do so that we can continue to improve and grow. So if any of you all ever want to reach out, ask questions, help me learn uh, as well, um, my phone number is 214-235-5975. And again, I'm in Nashville, so um, I just love really getting the chance to meet and talk with people like I have had that opportunity to do with Nick. And it helps me grow and make sure I test what I think I'm doing so that I can get better and better. And that's what we're here to do is make sure that the patients get the best that they can get. Well, thank you. And I can also vouch for Kathy and everyone else on the team over there at Foundations. You guys have an amazing organization. Um, I think everyone's moving in the right direction there. I think you guys are leaders in the space in various areas. And so I do encourage any listeners to get out there and and see the centers or touch base with Kathy um, and learn a little bit more. And I did want to mention, so this is cool, and it's kind of a random aside too, but so you were telling me about this really cool center that you guys have that has like paparazzi defenses. Is that right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, 
that I remember. So we do have a facility in California in Malibu that is very small. It's just 15 beds, and it's for some more high-profile patients. And that was a real new experience coming from the healthcare world to be having a tour. And they told me that you know it was it was paparazzi safe because it's down in the canyon and it has the gated gate and all this stuff. I had never heard that term in my life before. Paparazzi <laughs> right. safe. So nobody got a picture of me while I was there. It was all safe. Uh, <laughs> you guys Amazing. even got worried about like drones, right? So like drones are a concern. Yeah, you can't because the canyon and the trees and all of that. And I tell you, it's, it's a wonderful facility. So um, it is very different from then. We have our other facilities on the East Coast that are uh, very open and one right in the middle of Memphis. So anyway. <laughs> all right. Well, cool. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. To all our listeners out there, again, this is the Recovery Executive Podcast. I'm your host, Nick Jaworski. The Recovery Executive Podcast is brought to you by Circle Social Inc., experts in strategic marketing and growth for addiction treatment centers. You can check out more about them on their website at www.circlesocialinc.com. And you can download this podcast wherever podcasts are found. Thank you so much.